Good evening. Today is Thursday, the 7th of May, 2020. It is the National Day of Prayer, um, so it's very appropriate that we're gathered here together. And it's been a wonderful day for many different forms of prayer with me, too. Um, I am sitting upstairs in my living room and downstairs in the family room of my split level is my son playing video games online with his BFF. So if you hear some exclamations in the background or if this uh, suddenly seems like it's turning into an explicit podcast, but it's not me, <laughs> that's him. So forgive me for the background um, noise and ambiance. Our readings tonight are Psalms. Let's see. Oh, we've got a choice between 59 and 60 or 114 and 115. So when we get there, um, we'll make a choice. But uh, you, of course, are, are open to read whatever you'd like to read. We will also read from the Hebrew scripture, Exodus 34, 1 through 17. And first, we'll read from the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 20. And the Gospel of Matthew 5, 21 through 26. We are using, as usual, a liturgy that is compiled from several different sources. The Episcopal Book of Common Prayer, Enriching Our Worship, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. The um, NRSV version of the Bible, particularly from the New Oxford Annotated Bible, the New Revised Standard Version with the Apocrypha 5th Edition Ecumenical Study Bible. And we might even throw in something there from Celtic, De De Ugh, Celtic Daily Prayer, Prayers and Readings from the Northumbria Community. Seek the one who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. God is their name. Dear friends in Christ, here in the presence of Almighty God, let us kneel in silence and with penitent and obedient hearts confess our sins so that we may obtain forgiveness by God's infinite goodness and mercy. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through the grace of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in, good, in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. O God, make speed to save us. O God, make haste to help us. Praise to the Holy and Undivided Trinity. One God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. O gracious light, pure brightness of the ever-living Creator in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed, now as we come to the setting of the sun, and our eyes behold the vesper light, we sing your praises, O God, Creator, Incarnate, and Holy Spirit, you are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices, O Jesus Christ, O giver of life, and to be glorified through all the worlds. Psalm 59 Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. From the bloodthirsty, save me. Even now they lie in wait for my life. The mighty stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O God. For no fault of mine they run and make ready. Rouse yourself. Come to my help and see. You, God of hosts, are God of Israel. 
Awake to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with sharp words on their lips. For who, do they think, will hear us? But you laugh at them, O God. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God, in their steadfast love, will meet me. My God will will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Do not kill them. Or my people may regret or forget. Excuse me. Do not kill them, or my people may forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O God, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the word of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them until they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They roam about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your might. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a fortress for me and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Psalm 60 O God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry, now restore us. You have caused the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair the cracks in it, for it is tottering. You have made your people suffer hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us real. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, to rally to it out of bowshot. Give victory with your right hand and answer us, so that those whom you love may be rescued. God has promised in their sanctuary With exultation I will divide up Sechem and portion out the vale of Succoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbasin. On Edom I hurl my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for human help is worthless. With God we shall do valiantly. It is God who will tread down our foes. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from Exodus, chapter 34 verses 1 through 17. God said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me, on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and do not let anyone be seen throughout all the mountain. And do not let flocks or herds graze in front of that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the former ones. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as God had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. God descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name. God. God passed before him and proclaimed, God. God, God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. 
He said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let you go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take, for us, and take us for your inheritance. He said, I hereby make a covenant. Before all your people I will perform marvels, such as not, have not been performed in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among who you live shall see the work of God, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you today. See, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you are going, or it will become a snare among you. You shall tear down their altars, break their pillars, and cut down their sacred poles. For you shall worship no other god, because God, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You shall not make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to their gods, someone among them will invite you and you will eat of the sacrifice. And you will take wives from among their daughters for your sons, and their daughters who prostitute themselves to their gods will make your sons also prostitute themselves to their gods. You shall not make cast idols. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle J, a song of Judith. I will sing a new song to my God. For you are great and glorious, wonderful in strength, invincible. Let the whole creation serve you. For you spoke and all things came into being. You sent your breath and it formed them. No one is able to resist your voice. Mountains and seas are stirred to their depths. Rocks melt like wax at your presence. But to those who fear you, you continue to show mercy. No sacrifice, however fragrant, can please you. But whoever fears God shall stand in your sight forever. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity. One God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13-20. through 20. We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really is, God's word, which is also at work in you, believers. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own compatriots as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out. They displease God and oppose everyone by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Thus they have constantly been filling up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has overtaken them at last. As for us, brothers and sisters, when, for a short time, we were made orphans by being separated from you, in person, not in heart, we longed with great eagerness to see you face to face. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, wanted to again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Yes, you are glory and joy. Hear what, the spirit, hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle S, a song of our true nature. This is appropriate, I think, for the eve of the day on which we remember Julian of Norwich, for it was Julian of Norwich to whom this canticle is attributed. Christ revealed our frailty and our falling our trespasses, and our humiliations. Christ also revealed his blessed power, his blessed wisdom and love. He protects us as tenderly and as sweetly when we are in greatest need. He raises us in spirit and turns everything to glory and joy without ending. 
God is the ground and the substance, the very essence of nature. God is the true father and mother of natures. We are all bound to God by nature, and we are all bound to God by grace. And this grace is for all the world, because it is our precious mother, Christ. For this fair nature was prepared by Christ for the honor and nobility of all, and for the joy and bliss of salvation. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Jesus Christ. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The Holy Gospel of our Redeemer. Praise to you, Jesus Christ. We believe in God, the nurturer and teacher, from whom is named every family in heaven and on earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, begotten of divine love, who lives in our hearts through faith and fills us with that love. We believe in God, the Holy Spirit. She strengthens us with power from on high. We believe in one God, source of all being, love incarnate, spirit of truth. Amen. God be with you, and also with you. Let us pray. Our Creator in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your sovereignty come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the sovereignty, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We will use suffrages set B, that this evening may be holy, good, and peaceful. We entreat you, O God, that your holy angels may lead us in paths of peace and goodwill. We entreat you, O God that we may be pardoned and forgiven for our sins and offenses. We entreat you, O God, that there may be peace to your church and to the whole world. We entreat you, O God, that we may depart this life in your faith and fear and not be condemned before the great judgment seat of Christ. We entreat you, O God, that we may be bound together by your Holy Spirit in the communion of St. John, St. Julian, and all your saints, entrusting one another in all our life to Christ, we entreat you, O God. O God, whose Son Jesus is the Good Shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear Jesus' voice, we may know the one who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Most holy God, the source of all good desires, all right judgments, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, so that our minds may be fixed on the doing of your will, and that we, being delivered from the fear of all enemies, 
may live in peace and quietness through the mercies of Christ Jesus our Savior. Amen. Jesus Christ, stay with us, for evening is at hand and the day is past. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture and the breaking of bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen. Keep watch, dear God, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, gracious Christ. Give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. Amen. Now is the time when I usually share a few thoughts on the readings, and I've got some big thoughts tonight on the reading um, for the gospel. I really did some digging on this one, friends. So um, I'm going to try to go rather quickly through the others so we can really dig into that one. All right, so going to the Psalms first. Um, these are both Psalms of deliverance. Psalm 59 speaks particularly from the perspective of the psalmist as professing himself to be blameless and the enemy to be full of sin and asking for God to save him and smite the enemies, basically. It's a good psalm for when you're really feeling persecuted. I would say particularly that it is also the one, one of the ones that speaks to the enemies being caught in their own traps and wraps up with the psalmist, I, I guess you would call it a promise, to be different, to follow a different path. But I will sing of your might. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a fortress for me and a refuge in the day of my distress. And while I wholeheartedly believe that making promises to honor and praise God are very worthy, I think there is a little bit of sin comparison here. Like the psalmist is saying, save me because I'm different. I'm better. I do this and not that. And that is such an easy trap to fall into. We do it all the time. I totally had this epiphany about this the other day. And I do it myself. When I am afraid of something, I tend to, like the fear monster says, you're so bad, you're going to be punished. And, and my response is, but I'm not as bad as them. So I should, I should not be punished as bad as them, right? I should get better than them. And it has nothing to do with justifying like the real truth, right? Is that grace and mercy and God's justice has nothing, nothing to do prayer, you know, the truth of life or however you want to phrase that really has nothing to do with justification. My prayer is not going to be answered because I'm able to justify myself, particularly, especially justify myself through comparison of someone else. It's very basic. Putting somebody else down doesn't make me any better. It's not about justification or, or particularly justification through comparison. It is all about grace and mercy. And so what was illuminated for me and I'm reminded of here is that the prayer, especially the prayer that is the answer to fear and prayer should be our answer to everything, right? Um, is not this futile justification comparison which buys into the whole perfectionism, earning, 
blessing and favor kind of deal. It is throwing ourselves upon God's mercy. And by that, I don't mean self-abusive talk. I am a worm. I am full of sin. I am worthless. God have mercy. I mean, that's not what I mean. I mean running to God for perfection and trusting in God's steadfast, unconditional love and mercy that we know God has for us. We're told so all these times, but this is one of those big pieces of taking it from being intellectual to taking it to be really being known, known in our bones and our hearts and something that we know so well that we live it out. So when the fear strikes us, when we feel persecuted, I believe we can take it up a notch, step out of justification and comparison and pointing the finger. And offer ourselves and our enemies up to God, placed on God's mercy. Because we will be protected and loved and blessed and everything evil intended to harm us will be beautifully warped by God away from evil into God's goodwill. What was meant to harm will end up blessing because of God's love for us, not because of anything else, because of love and love shown through grace and mercy and healing. And the redemption and reconciliation, which we'll talk about a little bit more later, And restoration that come through healing. Man, all of these things are ultimate blessings. And we pray them for ourselves and for our enemies. And that is just such a tremendous thing. So I guess I went on a little bit longer about the Psalms than I intended. But that was my thought on on Psalm 59 particularly, 60 does line up pretty well, but the psalmist comes at it first from the point of being, um, of suffering not at the hands of other humans, but suffering actually at the hand of God. And then halfway through a bit kind of flips it around and asks God for God's help and then you kind of looking back see the beginning part as though the psalmist was attributing the suffering that they're undergoing as to God allowing it to happen so we're kind of back in in this viewpoint right God why are you letting this to happen why are you not riding out with me to battle and ensuring my victory over every foe So I do think the same lesson applies here. Not justification, but love. But grace. But mercy. And perhaps even not God smite my enemies, but God heal my enemies. That no more wounding is going on. I'm not cutting anyone down and neither is anyone cutting me down. We are healing 
and holy and give to each other the same grace that God has given us. Our Old Testament reading um, where Moses goes back up and the commandments are recut in stone. I think that's all very interesting because it's a second chance, right? And then also I think it's so interesting that God tells Moses to come up alone, to have nobody around, not even herds grazing. So Moses is totally isolated with God. And I think that's a beautiful perspective to have right now in our time of pandemic isolation. That whatever the root cause or the initial cause is, we can now find ourselves separated and with God, and perhaps we can use this time of isolation to draw nearer to God. And God will, as God did for Moses, descend from the cloud and stand with us here. I think that's a beautiful prayer for us at this time. God, Descend from the cloud and stand with us here. And we know that it's so because we have with us and in us the Holy Spirit. We have the divine. God doesn't have to travel some distance, and distance is nothing to God anyway, to be with us. God is already here and accessible. It's our own distance that we've got to get through to get to God. I stuck on the second part of verse 7 for a bit, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And I did not dig way into this one that I, the way I did was something that bothered me in the gospel reading. I dug way into that and it was really um, revelatory for me. I didn't dig as much into this, into this one. But my commentary says uh, that verses 6 through 7 are a catalog of divine qualities, part of which is known in Jewish tradition as the 13 attributes of God. And it appears fully or in part repeatedly in the Bible, sometimes omitting the transgenerational punishment. And so I think... Now, like I said, I didn't dig research-wise too much into this. But I think here, remember, we're talking about the commandments, which are guidelines. Well, guidelines is is too soft a word, but you know where I'm going. Um, Like a rubric for living one's life. And And so I think that there's a kind of warning here that if we don't clear out our own junk, we're going to end up passing it down. And a friend of mine was just talking to me about this the other day. She's in a really hard spot in her life and she is, man, she is persevering with faith and love and grace through this really difficult time. And she might tell you differently, but But I, you know, through the eyes of love that I see her, it is amazing how much grace that she's got in the middle of this crap, right? And we were talking about about the whole thing and about, as I look back on it, like part part of what we're talking about is is like the atmosphere that parents create in their home with their children, And how neither one of us really had an atmosphere that taught us to handle this kind of thing, this intrusion into our lives with grace. 
and now that's through the hindsight of like every everything that I've been thinking over the last few days and the other things I've been reading. But I, I think that's kind of the crux of it. And and that's true. When we either fail to teach our children healthy and nourishing and positive ways or we teach them negative destructive ways we pass that down and I believe it is sinful from generation to generation and so I I think that in my humble opinion that's what the warning here is about is about finding in ourselves in our own lives the way of following God the way of love and teaching that to our children because if we don't then what we're going to be passing down is sin right and and I don't want to be that binary in it that either you're teaching love or you're teaching sin but I do want to offer up maybe a different perspective than transgenerational sin, which, which I don't believe in. I, I firmly believe that each baby is born perfect and pure and holy and that any infant who dies in the womb or in childbirth is welcomed into heaven that there is no purgatory for babies and I know that some of my brothers and sisters believe differently and I respect and honor their freedom to follow their own beliefs but this is my belief So I don't think it's that we're born with having to suffer the consequences of somebody else's actions in, in that way. But what I do think is sometimes the circumstances that we're born into don't teach us God's way, the way of love. Lucky for freaking us, though, because we can, through, through scripture, through other spiritual and religious teachers and teachings and materials of all kinds, we can be taught the way. We can learn the way. We can go deep within ourselves to the divine and teach ourselves the way. We can unlearn the unhelpful ways that we've been taught by our culture, not just our immediate homes. And so we are not doomed to follow in the footsteps of our parents. There is all kinds of grace to show us more grace-filled <laughs> ways. I think that's I think that's wrapped up what I've got to say about that. Um, forgive me, I know I said I was going to go more quickly through these and I definitely did not do that. Let's talk about Thessalonians. So um, I did a little bit of digging with this one too, not as much as I did with the gospel reading. But what struck me here, well, let's not just focus on the stuff that I was like about, let's Let's, let's also talk about we do give thanks just as Paul or whoever the writer of Thessalonians was for our brothers and sisters, for our siblings, I guess is the better way to put it, 
in Christ. And we, as bearers of God's love and God's word, have the responsibility to carry that truly, not carrying something of ourselves. Well, I was going to say not carrying something of ourselves, but being is that there is, we are divine and holy. And we've been talking about that a lot lately, us being made from the same stuff of which God is made of. Maybe I should say we are responsible for carrying the divine in and through us. To our teachings, interactions, communion with others. That's probably the better way to say that. And then I think just as there was a portion of our Hebrew scripture reading that really spoke to our current time during this pandemic. So also I think verse 17 really speaks to our time as well. As for us, brothers and sisters, when for a short time we were made orphans by being separated from you in person, not in heart, we longed with great eagerness to see you face to face. I think I could say that to so many of my beloveds. I feel temporarily orphaned by being separated from you in person. But I am not separated from you in heart. And I long with great eagerness to see you face to face. All right, so now let's circle back to the verse that gave me trouble. Let's talk about that one a little bit. Um, So the one that gave me a little bit of trouble was verse the latter part of 14, so like 14B and 15. And so let's just read it real quick. We'll read 14 through 16 from fully. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own compatriots as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displease God and oppose everyone by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. Thus, they have constantly been filling up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has overtaken them at last. So my commentary here says that verses 13 through 16 This passage may not be original to the letter. And then specifically talking about 14. If the text is an interpolation, then the claim God's wrath has overtaken them may refer to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 70 CE. If original, it is likely a more general reference to anti-Jewish sentiments in the culture or reflects a viewpoint that God has rejected the Jews, contrary to Romans 9 through 11. What I would posit here is that the writer is speaking out against a group that he feels is part of the group that, or at least related to or like, the group that crucified Jesus. And so I do want to dig into that just a little bit with some help from Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crisan and their book, The Last Week. As you guys know, I read this um, during Holy Week um, because it just lined up so perfectly for the second year in a row. And this year I read it out loud at night with my son, Jack, which was a really awesome experience. But in it, the authors speak about the terrible misuse of passages in our Bible to condone and even perpetuate anti-Semitism. 
And one of the points that they make is that it wasn't the Jews who crucified Jesus. It was a particular empowered group of leaders within the Jewish community of its t- of that time, particularly the chief priests. So this is one of, you know, those sick systems of power and the leaders in this, or I shouldn't say all, this group of leaders within the J- Jewish community at that time had all this power over the common Jewish people, so to speak, and collaborated with the Romans and, and all of this business. And when Borg and Chrysan talk about Good Friday and they talk about the crowd, right? The crowd that is shouting crucify him and free Barabbas instead. They have this to say, and this is a direct quote from page 144 of the last week. Almost certainly, this is not the same crowd that heard Jesus with delight during the week. Mark gives us no reason to think that crowd has turned against Jesus. Moreover, it is highly unlikely that the crowd from earlier in the week would be allowed into Herod's palace where this scene is set. This crowd, the crowd stirred up by the chief priests, must have been much smaller and is best understood as provided by the authorities. Someone had to let them into the palace. So this crowd is made up of not the Jewish people who were listening to and learning from and following Jesus. But those empowered in the current, and I would even say, evil systemic power who did not want to lose that power who saw Jesus as a threat now doesn't that sound very similar to some of what's going on in our modern day current times And I think that it is likely a combination of inexact language and translation and generalization that has trickled down until we're reading in this passage, the Jews, when that's not really who it was. And I think that it's high time that Christian culture and Jewish culture were reconciled. And there are some places and ways in which that is beginning to happen. And it's beautiful. All right, let's go on now to our gospel reading. Um, And it might not take that long to dig in, to talk about it. It took me a while to research and dig into it, but it might not take us that long to actually get into it. So, all right, so this section is called the Antitheses. And although that name suggests, and this is, direct quote from my commentary, seemingly opposite propositions, Jesus's purpose is not to abrogate the Mosaic law, but to advocate a profounder obedience to God's commandments. So I did dig into this in the commentary and 
the commentary that's in my Bible, which, as you guys know, is the New Oxford Annotated Bible. Um, and also, I dug into the word biblical commentary, and that was really helpful to me. Um, let me tell you what it had to say about the antitheses. And then... We will, um, we will go on from there and we will have a look at Luke, which actually illuminates this. So here we go. This is where biblical commentary, and I'm, I'm just picking out some parts. By means of six bold antitheses representing the teaching of Jesus, Matthew now contrasts Jesus' exposition of the true and ultimate meaning of the Torah with the more common rabbinic understandings of the commandments. In this way, the incomparable ethical demands of the kingdom are set forth, and in this way, examples are provided showing how the righteousness of the Pharisees is to be exceeded. The antitheses, which consist basically of the material introduced directly by the repeated twofold formula, you have heard, dot, 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 but I say to you, are accompanied in each instance by illustration, application, or clarification of some kind. Now, it seems pretty clear in verses 22 through 24 that the commandment says, do not murder, and Jesus' antithesis which really is kind of a misnomer. So that's hard for me to, I guess I would say, maybe I'll use the phrase that, that the commentary does, but more profound obedience is do not be angry with your sibling in Christ. Forgive, be reconciled. That one seems pretty clear, but when you get to the next one, in 25 through 26, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. If you're me, at least, you kind of start to feel a little bit lost. And so it was helpful to me that the commentary, because I can kind of get, I can kind of get the concept here, right? That Jesus is deepening the commandments by internalizing them, by emphasizing the underlying thoughts which themselves condemn the person. He's, he's getting at to the internal root of it, right? I can, I can get that, but I can't. I just had trouble with, with verses 25 and 26. So when I, when I dig that out in the commentary... Um, in the word biblical commentary, not the commentary that's in my Bible. It says, hang on, let me find it here. Okay, there's a parallel between these verses, Matthew 5, 25 through 26, and Luke 12, 58 through 59, right? So we've seen in the, in the antithesis just before 
that for Jesus, reconciliation and forgiveness are closely related. Again, a direct quote from Word Biblical Commentary. The motif of the forgiveness of trespasses is related to the second illustration, which then has this close parallel in Luke. But the content of this second illustration makes much better sense in the Lucan context, which seems to concern eschatological judgment than Matthew's, which concerns reconciliation and forgiveness. So let's go over to Luke and read that and see if it shines some light, which for me it did. So Luke 57 through 59, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Thus, when you go with your accuser before a magistrate, on the way, make an effort to settle the case, where you may be dragged before the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. And then I could see it. How in the Lucan context, with the slightly more precise language of, of Luke, we do kind of get a different perspective on this. And, and just in case, and, and I don't mean to be offensive at all, but just in case you're not familiar with all the terminology, eschatological is defined as relating to death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and humankind. So what I would say is I do agree with the word, but word biblical commentary that eschatological judgment is a good way to describe what's going on here. I could also say or discernment, right? So it to me then read through this lens, this passage is warning us against leaving all discernment to others because Christ the Holy Spirit have come to us and given us the tools we need to discern for ourselves what is holy what leads us toward God, what the quote unquote right thing is. And remember, there is a lot of injustice in this day. So it might very well be that the listeners here really understood the perils of throwing oneself on the mercy of a judge that you could just as soon innocent, guilty, or otherwise be locked up and thrown into a debtor's prison, which by the way, was a Gentile construct, not a Jewish construct, never to be seen again until you paid the last penny. So settling the debt or settling the argument outside of a biased and untrustworthy injustice system, the in being my own addition, would be preferable. Now also, um, in Luke, it isn't tied, it, it doesn't come right behind the Beatitudes in the Antitheses. It is more like embedded within the telling of parables. But either way, I think the lesson is there and it comes back to mercy and reconciliation again. And in this way, it does fit in Matthew because it's related to reconciliation. That's what he's talking about with the prior antithesis. 
but I think what 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 is trying to be expressed here is not a statement about in any kind of, which is funny because we're talking about judgment, but I don't think it's in any kind of way a judgmental statement about you're such a sinner, you're going to be thrown in jail. I think it is more we must lift each other up. We must reconcile with each other and we must do so in a way that surpasses the current and faulty systems of justice. And I think it very much applies to us right now as well. I think there's a lot of injustice and there's a lot of flawed justice going around. And I don't just mean the actual courts. I also mean the courts of public opinion. I also mean the informal power structures that exist within our culture and society and even in our church. And so it is, it is a hard thing to address someone face to face before the altar or on the road. But I think with the exception of cases where it would be dangerous or harmful, it is important for us to do that because it is just as likely whether we're the accuser or the accused that we could end up being the persecuted And that we must surely know what that feels like. And so we must follow the ultimate just way, which is the loving way of Christ. And be reconciled to each other and be healing and redeeming influences on each other. So that's what I got from that. Thank you for digging in really deeply with me on that one, folks. And I guess we ended up digging in really deeply on several of the scripture readings. And I appreciate that as well. I guess maybe that's what happens when I'm not recording as much as usual. You get kind of a synthesis of everybody, everything I've been thinking about since the last time that we were together. Thank you for being here with me, my friends. I love you all very much. And as we're already at over an hour, I think it's high time that we wrap it up. Let's say a couple of special prayers together. We haven't prayed the prayer attributed to St. Francis in a while. God, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. And because there are so many of us who are separated from our loved ones right now, the prayer for the absent. O oh God, whose nurturing care reaches to the uttermost parts of the earth, we humbly beseech you graciously to behold and bless those whom we love, now absent from us. Defend them from all dangers of soul and body, and grant that both they and we, drawing nearer to you, may be bound together by your love in the communion of your Holy Spirit and in the fellowship of your saints. Through Jesus Christ. Amen.
And because in this time of global pandemic, we are so in need of healing, let us pray a healing prayer. Loving God, your heart overflows with compassion for your whole creation. Pour out your spirit on all persons afflicted by COVID-19 or any other illness for which we have no cure, as well as their families and loved ones. Help them to know that you claim them as your own. Deliver them from fear and pain and send your Archangel Raphael to minister to their needs. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The Prayer of St. Chrysostom on page 126 of the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in Christ's name, you will be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O God, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless God. Thanks be to God. The grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.